setup. I'm Chris Grace. I'm John Acarta. And this is, uh, well, we don't know what date it is. No, we do not. It's this two weeks from today. It's, uh, yeah, I guess so. At this moment, you're eating a croissant. This is our one of our banked episodes because John is away. Uh, and we're you know, using the magic of technology to give yes. you an episode anyway. So if anything has happened between now and March 6th relating to magic, that's incredibly interesting. Like if David Copperfield announced he's retiring and is giving his entire act away yeah. to uh, me or uh, I don't know. Who well, else? magic uh, has been outlawed. Oh, has it? Uh, I did recently... Uh, here are things There's that, a preacher who won't let magic into his town. Uh-huh. And uh, it's like the plot of Footloose, but yeah. magic. Um, That's what I was going for. But then I realized that actually is the thing that sometimes happens. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I forgot about that. Uh, uh, what's Jack's last name at the castle? Jack? Goldfinger. Goldfinger. Um, I don't know where I heard this. It might have been on the Magic Word podcast. Again, don't listen to other podcasts. I've never um, even heard of that one. Um, where... Somebody was like, are you a magician or not? Because you could say for me, like, am I a magician? When people ask me, like people have asked me at the castle, want to hang out with you if I'm a magician. And I tend to say no. Um, I actually tend to interrupt them and I go, no. Yeah. Yeah. Um, (laughs) Oh, is he a magician? (laughs) No. (laughs) A nice try. Um, Jack Goldfinger uh, said that uh, the way you know whether you're a magician is if uh, tomorrow the government passed a law that magic was against the law if someone went into your garage would you be arrested for having stuff in there that's funny and uh, i would say definitely that i am yes definitely you're probably more so a magician than i am at that point although i know i've seen i've seen some uh photos from your house and you have a lot more books i have a lot of books um how do you feel about tarbell love it uh should i be getting the tarbell books I would say yes. Okay. Uh, I would say yes. A lot of that stuff has been repackaged over the years, but like there's still lots and lots and lots of really good information, uh-huh. and it's all pretty good. And like every yeah. now and again, like Shoot um, was telling me about how good they are. Basically, it's like the th- I don't know that I completely agree with this, but I've heard people say that you can make an entire and like act that you can work use and work for a long, long time just straight out of Tarbell. And there's a lot of really good information in there. I mean, uh, how many books is it? Eight. Okay. It's eight. I mean, I would hope that you could put an act together out of an eight, eight book series. <laughs> but, like, it's all good material. It's not right, bullshit. Right. It's it's all kind of tested, performed stuff. Granted, it's it's now 70 years old, but uh, it it really holds up a lot of that material, a lot of the concepts in it. All right. I'll get one of them. Okay. Is, is it, does it proceed by, like, topic? Um, I don't really know how it's organized. They were, like, uh, I don't know what you'd call it, um, monthly pamphlets that were sent out to people. It was a oh. course that you signed up for and you were emailed these little books. And then they eventually compiled all of those. So I don't know exactly how they do it. But the seventh book is like 40% just an index of the other seven. Um, <laughs> oh, and so there's stuff in it, but it's like, so I usually, if I'm just looking for something, I will just go to, uh, I'll, just go to I'll just go to book seven and then I'll, you know, and it has it organized by like alphabetical title and by topic and by names and stuff. And it's really an incredible resource. Uh, have you read? I I actually like reading old magic th- things. Oh yeah, it's funny to read how dated they are. Um, like especially in Tarbell, it'll be like buy borrow a gentleman's top hat and cigarette from the first <laughs> row. <laughs> um, uh, but like, I also like reading get a lady's pocket square. Make sure it's pure woven silk. <laughs> <laughs> Ask one of your man servants to come. <laughs> right. Um, I I like reading old newsletters. Um, so, cause I like reading the jinx. Uh-huh. Have you read the jinx? Uh, I have. Yeah. I've not a lot, but I've, I've, library, uh, I've seen have it. Have you before. heard of one called chicanery by Stephen Tucker? 
Uh, I don't think I have. It's like a British, like printed on a home, like when computer printers were first starting and right. like, um, and I just, I like reading that kind of stuff. I, I like reading like, I've also like reading zines. Mm-hmm. Um, so I just, I love this idea of like people just sort of self-publishing little ideas and sending them to their friends and stuff like that. Anyway, I have a collection of chicanery issues that's, um, you know, interesting. It has a lot of John Carney in it actually. Oh, really? Um, uh, and has some, I believe has, has some Alan Ackerman stuff in it as well. Oh. Um, so I wanted to talk to you first. We have a topic we do want to talk about. Why don't we talk about that first? You, you wanted to talk about um, people waiting to see Penn and Teller right. after shows. So this is something I have thought about before. Do you remember a couple of years ago, maybe two years ago, when Ben Platt wasn't coming out after Dear Evan Hansen? Yes. He was on vo- basically vocal rest, and right. it was kind of a controversy, and a lot of people were a pissed about that. A girl was very disappointed. Her, her mother had brought her to meet him, and they tweeted about it. Yes. And he tweeted like, hey, you have to understand this show's really hard to do. Right. And I need my rest. And then that started a bit of a you know debate over like what the social responsibility is of a performer like that. Yeah. So uh, Penn and Teller famously stand outside of their in the lobby of their theater and they at every single show they do and they greet any single person that wants to talk to them. Uh-huh. And I've always thought that was a really great thing to do. And yeah. I think kind of an important thing. I, I think that what that speaks to to me is it speaks to a real appreciation for your audience and a real acknowledgement that you get to do what you do because they're there showing up. And so mm-hmm. it's sort of a way to pay that back in some small way. What I do hate, and I see this attitude sometimes, I was at the castle once, and someone was doing a show, and they were very nervous. I was like being filmed or something. They're they're nervous, and that was a friend of mine, and his hands were shaking a lot during the show. And he was clearly, because there's a lot of new material, he was trying something new. And there was sort of a test audience there uh, with a lot of like real audience mixed in. And afterwards, a woman walked up to him who I believe was um, 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 married to a magician. So oh. she like she was like a member. She was very you know in on the scene. She goes, "You look really nervous." She goes, "You don't have to be nervous. Remember." And she said this in a very aggressive way. She goes, "Remember, you're doing them a favor. This is you're doing like this for them. They <laughs> owe you." You're doing this, and and I and I had to pull myself back from leaning forward and going. I'm sorry that everything you just said was complete bullshit. <laughs> but I think that was complete bullshit. That was like interesting. You, I think that when you are a performer, you I I, I believe that it is you is an opportunity and a privilege to get to be a performer. I don't think you're like you know I th- that attitude of like you just descend upon the audience and how lucky they are to be in your presence yeah. you don't need them is bullshit I get to do what I get to do because people come and see me do it and they like me doing it you know I think very like Bo Bur- like Bo Burnham has said that in a special he's like this is a service industry don't st- like all those pop stars were like thanks for my fans for sticking with me he's like no if I stop pleasing you abandon me this is you get what you can from me and then if I stop delivering it go somewhere else like this is um, you're not, I don't, you're not like, you don't owe anything to me. Uh, yeah. you know, and so I, I kind of come down on it that way. It's like, I, I think I, yeah, still don't be, you know, I'm not saying you should be nervous because their approval means everything. Right. If you have a bad show, it's not the worst thing, but this whole attitude of, oh, what a favor I'm doing for you. How lucky you are to be in my presence. I think is total bullshit. Yeah. I mean, what you're saying is Ben Platt's an asshole. Uh, that's well, what I, that's what I got from that. <laughs> And then I thought, I, I don't think Ben, what, this is where it is weird, because I do not think he was under any obligation to do that, especially given how difficult that show is. It's like famously difficult part to sing. Yeah. I think that that is, a, here's the it's thing. It's a about, little different, though, because it's not come to see Ben Platt. 
it's come to see Dear Evan Hansen. Sure. And that feels a little different. People sure. that are acting in a play, the curtain calls when you show them appreciation. And then great if you get to meet them afterwards. But it's not the same as like, you know, Patton Oswalt coming to your town and you're going to see Patton Oswalt. And right. if you can meet him afterwards, that would be great. You know, I don't know. I don't feel... It, first of all, I do think that um, meeting greeting afterwards is a great, good thing. In fact, um, I uh, for in Edinburgh, it's really important. Oh, I bet. Uh, and also, by the time you hear this, we will probably have made some decision about that, <laughs> right? <laughs> but let's say you're going to Edinburgh, um, even if it's at a very late night slot, it will be important to like say every single act there. They do they they talk to people on their way out sure. because it's important to people do want to make that connection to you. Um, and it sort of cements in their mind whether or not they want to tell someone else about your show. I, you know, I uh, kind of tell her don't need that. But. Right. I I could be wrong about this. I feel like I've heard Penn mention this, but uh, the three or four times in my life I've seen Penn and Teller's show, it's always great. I always try to, you know, if uh, maybe the last like one or two times I haven't said anything or I haven't like tried to meet them afterwards, I've just left. But the first couple times I what I wanted to get a picture with them, you know, I was like seventeen years old or something, and they were huge heroes of mine. They still are. I would uh, pen as he, he calls everyone boss. He's like, oh yeah, he's like, can you mind if I get a picture? Like, oh, I have to do boss. You know, like, and, and, and you just think it's like this nice term of endearment. But I think I I could be wrong, and I'm sorry if this is incorrect. I feel like I've heard him say publicly that he really means that. He's like, no, the audience is uh-huh. in charge. They are they are paying my salary when yeah. they you know I'm out of work if they stop seeing my shows. So they kind of are the you know my boss. Yeah. Um, By the and, way, have you ever played the Penn and Teller video game? No. Oh, we should find that and have you play it. It's called Desert Bus. I would love it. What is this? It is a game that they How helped design. Oh, it's from like the 80s or 90s or something like that, where you're driving a bus from, I believe, from Vegas to LA or something like that. Uh-huh. And it's literally just driving a bus on a straight line highway. And I think <laughs> it's for like seven hours. <laughs> um <laughs> Um, and you, people have done playthroughs of it or whatever, where like you have to, the problem is, is the bus, um, will slowly drift off the road if you don't, you can't just like let it play for seven hours or whatever. You have to be like steering it onto the road the entire time. Driving in real time. Yeah. Now what's interesting, I kind of land on the other side of it, this issue, um, I'm not so black and white with it. Well, uh, with um, similar to a lot of advice that I have about performing in general, I often feel that um, people need to get sort of the opposite advice of whatever they naturally do. So there's a lot of performers in comedy, particularly in improv, particularly when I'm coaching musical improv. Okay. Where I'm... Very specific subject, subsection. Well, subsection. Well, it's, I'm very insistent that they take the spotlight, they come down center, and they do perform as if. I mean, I don't phrase it this way, but they perform as if they are. You came to see me, and not that you're lucky to see me, but you have to. That the audience wants to see somebody that owns the spotlight. Oh, sure. Oh, I agree with that. Um, and sometimes it takes a little bit of arrogance on the performer's part. Absolutely. I think it does um, take a little bit of of that to be a strong performer. I think every major, outside of magic, every major live performer has some element of that ego, sure. ego that's just like, you came to see me. I am owning that. And yes, I deserve all of your 
So there is a little bit of like, I am doing you a favor. If you go Beyonce, see Beyonce, she's kind of doing you a favor. Right. I, I, and I agree. I mean, it is not, I, it's tough talking about this because my, my opinions on it aren't completely by, like, you know, the way you've talked about with culture, you've just find that people just kind of think what they think and find, ex- find excuses yeah, and justifications yeah. in the work they're talking about. Well, this is, this is what I mean about, I think some people need to hear the opposite advice. Sure. I, I, so I think this is potentially that for me. I it, it changes case by case. Like I said, I do not think you know. Like uh, I I heard about Lin Manuel Miranda um, during uh, Hamilton. I think he was that theater was next door to where Fiddler was playing, uh-huh. and he would have to sneak out through the Fiddler. He would have to go through uh, their theater and then sneak out through their stage door because he was getting mobbed all the time. Uh-huh. I, I I think that he was under no obligation to greet his audience, given how insane that would be. I mean, there'd be an extra three hours right. on top of the you know. The monumental thing he just did, um, and I don't think, and I, I'm not even saying you have to be greeting your audience. I think it's a good thing to do when possible. I just think that and I'll clarify my point a little bit because I agree with everything you just said. I think yeah. you do have to have sort of that attitude on stage. However, I think that you can have that attitude on stage while still being gracious, like off stage. Yeah, yeah, you know, yeah, like yeah. off off stage, you don't have to have the attitude um, of like. You know, I can have that confidence on stage. I can have, you know, sometimes you have to. Like, I can watch someone. I remember this is a couple years ago, uh, and this is kind of shitty thing. I thought to myself, but we all have those thoughts, and mm-hmm. I think it's healthy to talk about them. I was watching someone who was going on before me doing something. It was doing like fine, and I knew I was a little bit funnier than them, and I knew my magic was a little bit stronger than them, and they were like kind of killing. And I'm uh-huh. like, awesome. If he's killing, I'm gonna destroy uh-huh. because I'm a little bit better. And yeah, that's a sort of a shitty thought. Wait, is that what happened? Kind of, yeah. Okay. I mean, because often you think that it's like, it wasn't. Oh. It wasn't totally proportional, right? But like, I did well, and right. it, at, at the end of your part, you said I didn't get what I deserved, for that. <laughs> and I just said, <laughs> "Fuck all of you, fuck you, fuck you, uh, fuck you," and it was the three of spades. <laughs> <laughs> and so, but that did give me a little bit of a confidence. Got me kind of revved up to go on stage. It's yeah. like, a, oh man, I'm gonna kill it, and that's great. But you can have that, like, oh, I'm really good, man. They're in for something good when they watch me perform, which is sometimes necessary. You got to keep that in check. You got to fucking watch that shit. But it's sometimes good to have. But off stage, you can still be mindful of the fact that you are offering them a thing that if you do poorly, then they're not gonna like. It's not like, yeah, you know, off stage, you can still have a. Uh, I need this audience to do my to job, and so you know, right? Um, without them, uh. I think maybe that lady's advice might have been right, though. Really? In the moment, because if what she's responding to is she detected that the person was a little tentative in the performance. Not, I don't. Uh, she probably said it in a very harsh way, but she said it in a harsh way that to me gave off a attitude of, and the you know, in everything, the you know, the audience is is lucky to see you. And not, and I, I kind of come down the other way around. It's like, no, I get to do this. This is a privilege because audiences seem to enjoy it. Therefore, I have to please them. Not like, yeah. Well, the thing is, is that there. So I think what she's responding to is that the audience doesn't want to go there and see somebody that's not confident. So it's sure. Just, so that's her sort of weird way of getting the person to be like. Think of it this way so that your hands aren't shaking the next time. Here's how it felt to me. It felt to me like if you're giving someone a gift, I can be excited and joyful because I know I got you a good gift that I know you wanted. Yeah. And so, like, 
Oh my god, how lucky you are to be about to be given this gift. That's so exciting for you. Look, open it. You're enjoying it. Now I'm having fun. I feel good because I gave you this great feeling. Right. We're all having a good time. Right. I think that is great to be like, oh, how lucky for you that you're going to get to get, have this fun gift that you're about to get to enjoy. Yeah. Whereas there's a difference between that and like in a shitty way of like, you know, I, like, uh, you know, requiring you to thank me. Like, yeah. appreciate this more. Right, right, right. How, you know, I didn't need to do this. That's kind of what it felt like. It felt like... Oh, okay. Uh, so, she's do, just do an see, awful person. Uh, that's what, that's the vibe I got. <laughs> and that woman's name was Raquel Welch. Hillary Rodham Clinton. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, I like yeah, like I said, I think that, um, I think that often people need the opposite advice of what their tendencies are. Sure, I would say, very, like, uh, I, I would guess... Because I fall into this category, I would guess that you're a person that probably needs to promote yourself more. I need and, to be a little more aggressive. Like I need to feel be a little more, bit more arrogant and feel more like, um, more putting yourself forward in in all sorts of situations where it's like it could help you career wise. I need to be a little bit pushier. But you know, I'm sure I know plenty of people in comedy. I'm sure you know people in magic right. that you're like you shouldn't be as pushy as you are because you're not good enough. But you get opportunities because you will absolutely you will say like, "Hey, can I do your show or whatever?" There's people like that in acting and comedy that are just like very, very aggressive about marketing themselves and asking for opportunities, and they do decently well. Right? Can but, I name a name? Sure. Uh, this is the first time we ever met. We were talking about this exact thing. Oh, uh, I, I remember. It. And you were like, you were talking about Ben Schwartz, and that's kind of how he came up is that he is a very pushy, aggressive guy. Yeah. Um, I love that you named a name in my field. <laughs> But yeah, but he's like that. He's so famous. That's punching up. I thought you were gonna say like uh, someone that you had an experience. And I was like, oh, John's about to like air some dirty laundry. <laughs> oh no! Instead, you aired my dirty laundry. But I don't think that's how, like. But I don't think you said it necessarily a bad way. Um, he is. It just sounds like he is a very determined person that is not afraid to ask for things, and that has gotten him really far. He just played a sold out show at Carnegie Hall with uh, Thomas Middleditch. Yeah. Granted, Ben Schwartz is very talented and has the skills to back up how, that determination. Um, and he's a very successful actor and he's a strong improviser. Uh, so there's. Yeah. That's not a one to one thing about like people that aren't that. No, talented actually, I would. So since since you already mentioned his name, I guess I'll talk about it. Um. <laughs> he's not gonna listen to this, is he? No. Ben Schwartz is. Definitely one of those guys that is very uh, ambitious and was sort of always asking like, hey, how'd you get this thing? Like, um, you know, who books that thing? Or, you know, I'd like to work on that too. Or do you want to work on this? Uh, He also is a very hard worker. Right. And I would say that this, uh, some of the guys I'm talking about, it, it does go hand in hand that they're very hard workers. Also, I would say, I don't actually know if Ben is like this, but other guys I'm thinking of that that are similar to this. And this is something I very much envy and actually would like to emulate in these people is that they don't give a shit at all. If you say no to their face, that being rejected for an opportunity or for any moment doesn't phase them at all. I just heard that's very admirable. I just heard something on the radio. I'm going to, I kind of, it kind of came and went and I'm like, Oh wait, where, where can I find this? It was like a, documentary i think or a podcast i can't remember what it was but it was this guy talking about how his biggest fear was rejection yeah so he confronted that um and what he did is he just he would go find the things yeah i think i've heard he would find things that there was no way in the world people were going to say yes to and he would ask for them as publicly as he could like he would knock on someone's door this american life oh that i heard about it on the radio someone advertising on npr um, and i can remember like oh what format is this 
that I should be finding this on. Maybe it was This American Life. We'll try to look for it afterwards. But uh, the ad they played was like, I would go to someone's house and I would ask if I can like play in their backyard and like hang out with some friends in their backyard for a while or you know things like that. Yeah. Or I would ask if this restaurant would open at like two in the morning and you know stuff like that. Where the the, uh, the, the answer was going to be no. And but that was his sometimes way of, it wasn't right. Oh, I have no idea. I, I, I believe that there's a couple of them where they're like, okay. I worked at a uh, um uh, a plumbing company for two months, <laughs> answering phones uh, at a plumbing company. I got yelled at. A lot, and I was not good at that job. <laughs> but the 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 best thing the 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 best wisdom I took away from that job was from the CEO of uh, Dutton Plumbing, uh, Eric Dutton. The CEO of that was um, his his one of his big philosophies was uh, if you don't ask, you don't get. So uh-huh. he's like, just always ask, uh, and that is a thing. And I think about that all the time because there's so many things. I'm like, ah, I don't know if I should reach out to this or uh-huh. ask for it. And yeah, if you don't ask, you don't you don't get. Huh. So. Don't be afraid to ask for something. He also you, told you would never use a number three gasket when a number four widget will do. Right. And that's not as applicable. That's uh, I still use it quite a bit, though. <laughs> um, uh, oh, this is what I want to say about Ben Schwartz, too, is that um, I would say there that... there are too many Jews in comedy? Yes, I was thinking the same thing. I'm no. glad you brought it up. <laughs> no. When we were coming up in comedy, because I would do... I'd ha- I was on house teams of improv at the improv theater's when he was as well. Uh-huh. Um, Were you on the same teams? No. We, we, I was on teams that shared like time slots with his teams. Oh, I see. Uh, but I will say that like, uh, I don't, I'm trying to phrase how I could say this without it seeming like a criticism. He was, he's a very good improviser and very funny, but not somebody that you'd be like, he is a standout above everybody else and should rise to the top in a way that it was good. Like, mm-hmm. like everybody was fine and, He's definitely a very good improviser, but uh, you know what I mean. Like, I think it also helps that I think he does have a bit of that quality as like an actor, like you know, yeah, like yeah, yeah. on Parks and Rec as John Ralphio. Yeah, he definitely gives off that vibe. Yeah, so he was able to. If maybe that was not the case with improv, he was also able to sort of monetize that as an actor. Yeah. Um. On he, a very he also speci- got in because he wrote jokes relentlessly to try to get onto uh, SNL. I believe right. as a writer, and then. Ended up writing for. I remember he wrote for maybe he wrote like, for the Oscars. Yeah, he, wrote he for might the have Hugh Jackman Oscars. He might have written for like the MTV Awards or something before that. But he wrote for the Hugh Jackman Oscars, and that still has one of the funniest jokes I've ever seen in uh, an Oscar uh, opening number. What's that? Is that which the, is the reader? The reader. Yeah, <laughs> the reader. Uh, I didn't see the reader. The we were talking when Hugh Jackman last time he hosted the Oscars it was like 2009, 2010, maybe. A maybe. movie called The Reader was nominated. Uh, well, what he was doing was he didn't have like they didn't have the budget to make a big set for a big opening number. So the idea was he would make in his garage little like cardboard sets of all the movies, and he would do a song or dance around them. So like that was when uh, uh, The Dark Knight was nominated. Heath Ledger was that year, and so like he had this cardboard like Batmobile that he like got on top of, and he sang and danced about it. And then when it got to The Reader, which is this movie about the Holocaust, yeah, uh, like. He did this weird techno dance. Yeah. He was like, the reader. I didn't see the reader. Yeah. It's like, I meant I thought, to, but I didn't get around to it. And he's like doing this weird dance that has nothing to do. It's like everyone's like in these weird silver like skin suits. I thought it was very subversive to have an opening number for the Oscars where the person admits that they didn't see the <laughs> they movie. Didn't see, right. It's so good. Um, okay. I have something to talk about. Right. Which is uh, um, a realization I had about magic because we talked a couple of weeks ago about I got some Yigel, is that his name? Yigel Masika? Y- Yigel Masika, yeah. I got some loops from him. Mm-hmm. 
Uh, P.S. I was ordering something else from Amazon recently, and I was I needed to get over thirty five dollars. Instead of ordering loops, I ordered uh, Yigal Masika thread. Ah, okay. And wax because I was like, well, maybe I'll try making a loop of my own. Oh boy, I don't really know what the wax part of it. I don't know. I've never made loops. I, I thought you just tied them in a little knot, but I didn't uh, realize. Uh, the wax is involved somehow. Also, what are other uses for magician's wax? Is that? Do you ever use it for anything? Um, it says like you can use it to mark cards and stuff. Yeah, probably you can. Uh, I mean, you can use it to give your cards a waxy finish. Right. You're. Uh, I guess you're only limited by limited by your creativity. You can magician's wax is used for card on ceiling. Oh, uh-huh. um, you could use magician's wax to. Um, it's kind of like a uh, uh, impermanent use of that change glue that you have. Uh huh. Uh-huh. You use it for something like that. Uh, you could use it put in your hair to give it a nice little, uh, <laughs> nice little. I mean, you know, Yigal hair is exquisite. It is very nice. So I will say this about uh, the loops. I um, there's something I realized. I I used a loop recently in a TikTok video that I made, mm-hmm. um, which I showed you, right? The little fork spinning around. Yeah. Uh, oh, yeah. Uh, which, Follow Chris Grace Comedy on TikTok. Uh huh. And that TikTok was a minor hit. People liked it. Okay. And we talked before about doing. I me- commented on it. I, if you recall, I exposed the method. Oh, did you? I did. Yeah. I was actually surprised. I'm like, oh, you didn't text me about this. I oh, I don't think it. I saw that. What oh, did you yeah. say? Uh, I, I exposed the method. I said, um, what did I say? I, oh, I, I exposed you in terms of saying. Um, you were clearly just speaking incantations to the fork. <laughs> I don't think the... I saw that comment. Uh, Wait, I wonder if it was. Did you put it in? Do you have TikTok? And you I do. It... I put it on TikTok. I, I downloaded TikTok. I I follow one person, and that person is you. You know what? I wonder if. Okay, I'll look and see if it's there. But I don't think I saw that comment, and I wonder if it got reported. Uh, people report comments for real weird reasons on TikTok. But if when somebody was like, "That's the devil." And it's been reported because I don't think I saw that. That is hilarious. Anyway, censorship, First Amendment. So a little background, which I don't think you know. There's a thing going around on TikTok right now called the microwave, which is people do this move that I first saw at the World of Dance TV show where a guy sits on the ground and then spins, like relaxes in a position and then appears to rotate as if they're on a microwave turntable. Okay. It's a really cool move and it's actually not that hard. Um, Is he moving himself? You basically, imagine if I was sitting like this with my knee up and I had my hand behind me. Uh-huh. The hand behind me is I'm using to like rotate, but it looks right. like I'm just going like this. Oh, I see. So that's what, to that song, people have been doing that. What song? Uh, it's by Joji. It's um, is it called Microwave? No. Oh. Uh, I don't need, I love this song too. I don't need more time. Give me reasons we should be complete. Can't you see? I don't want to slow, dan- slow dance in the dark. I think it's what it's called. Anyway. Um, so my take was instead of the dance part to the same music cue, I would make that fork spin around in a very similar way as people have been dancing. Oh, is that the, uh, that's the reference I'm making by doing that. Um, but what I thought was interesting was again, people on social media want to guess at what the method is. Everybody guessed wrong, which I was fascinated by because when I was doing it, I was like, God, this feels so obvious what I'm doing. Interesting. And every single person has guessed incorrectly as to how it's done. Right. Um, and part of that was... How, how legitimate were some of those guesses, though? In terms of what? Like, how many of those guesses could maybe have worked if you had said, oh, you do this? Okay, so well, here's some of the guesses. Because So I, I in my comment, I put microwave magic because 
everyone has been talking about this move called the microwave. So that's what I meant when I said microwave magic, because the dance move looks like you're on a microwave turntable. <laughs> Several people then guessed that I had taken a microwave turntable and was doing it that way. And I was right. Like, well, when you sent me that video, my guess was that the eight ball was like. Well, I, I knew how you were doing it because yeah. we had talked about the method beforehand, and I, I, I like to think I probably could have guessed it without talking about that. Uh, but I was I'm saying, sure, I'm sure. When when uh, yeah. when you told me that people were commenting methods, my guess for like what is something someone oh, would right. say if they didn't know the method would be that the eight ball that you balance that fork on top of itself was rotating. Yes, because there were no distinguishing marks on it. That's actually that you would see move. Not only a reasonable guess. That's also an argument for me putting the eight in front. Yeah, if you were to put like some mark on that, yeah. that uh, we would see move that thing was rotating that didn't, then yeah. that would completely get rid of it. Again, I don't think anyone uh, thought about it that so, um, So interesting challenges of trying to do that was I was basically trying to get this fork to revolve in a very slow way, which actually is not super easy with a loop, I will say, based on right. my experience. I mean, I literally did that video 50 times. Wow. And I was getting... And what I was bro- happening? Well, so first I was doing it on the top of this like little glass candle that I had because it was the first thing I saw that I could balance it on. And the problem was is that I wanted to have the video sh- show me holding the fork, balance it, and then have it rotate, mm-hmm. which means I can't start with it perfectly balanced on the object already. I have to like sure. set it down in a way that it can balance and spin. And it's actually really hard to like set a fork down onto something and have it be in the exact right spot that it can like turn sure. successfully, especially if you're doing it slow. So that was an issue. So I switched. And then I was going to just do it on my finger, which is much easier because I could control it. Um, but I was actually having trouble with the something about the... I imagine that balancing it on your finger would be difficult in itself, but then having it rotate while also still maintaining that center of balance on your finger would be very difficult. I imagine I would you would knock it over a bunch of times as you tried to do that. It was also knocking into my other fingers. But also, I didn't find it as... Um, it's it's a lot uh, to me. It seemed a lot clearer what the method is if one hand is not involved, because sure. what happened with the, the final video that I did was that I was using my left hand to make it look like I was doing something, and everybody thinks it's the left hand mm-hmm. in the in their guesses. My right hand is just moving slightly away, and everybody's so lots of people guessed that my ring was magnetic, which I was also like I actually thought about like taking off my ring before doing. It. I was like, I don't know. They think that the magnet in my ring is like strong enough to like make get a fork to like spin around right so it, i thought that was very fascinating but this is what i realized in in total about social media and magic and magic in general maybe is that i was kind of worried about um this seems really obvious am i putting things on social media that um are going to hurt other magicians because it's like so obvious that like people are just gonna be like oh yeah it's just like a loop or whatever right but this is a great relief to me. I realized that no other magician uh, can really go on to my social media and say, like, this sucks because of this. <laughs> because, <laughs> um, because they would have to, like, talk about the method to criticize me. Right. And I found it to be a great relief. But I also thought, this is probably why... This is a potential trap for why magic is not as good as, it, as some people want it to be. Because there, there's a, there's um, an understanding that we're not going to criticize each other's uh, work in general, but also not crit- expose anything, and um, so I felt insulated by that protection from the criticism of other magicians. Right, and 
So while it was comforting to me, I also thought like that's something that could potentially hurt the art form. If in general we're all just like, well, I can't say anything about anybody else's acts in public because, you know, I if someone is doing a magic act that really bothers me, that uses methods that I think are lame, that that make it harder for me to do a show in public, I can't ever really say anything. Sure. I don't know. What, how do you feel about that? It's. I mean, yeah, you're kind of right. I mean, granted, people will publicly talk about it in magic f- circles. Right. But I can't influence the audience in any way to be like, you guys are falling for bullshit. <laughs> you know? <laughs> well, one of the arguments against that, which I don't know that I agree because I think we rely on this too heavily, would be that, oh, if the audience is falling for bullshit, then that means the bullshit is working because people are falling for it. Uh-huh. You know, we don't need to change it because audiences are falling for it and it's working. I think, though, that that is often two times just like a security blanket that people don't want to... They're like, oh, well, it works. So it's, you know, oh, it gets a good reaction. So it's fine. That doesn't necessarily mean it's great or that it can't be improved upon or mm-hmm. it doesn't have a lot of problems to it. I think that was an Escanio thing. Escanio said that a smart magician, any magician knows the, the difference between what's bad and good, but a smart magician knows the difference between what's good and what's better. Mm. So I think that is just saying, like, oh, it kind of works. People are falling for it is, is too simple of a, too simple of a security blanket or a you know, safety net for you to. Well, like in comedy, uh, there's there's not a lot of like shit talking about other comedians, but there is some, and there's a lot of it that's very public. Like really? it's very easy to find David Cross talking about Larry the Cable Guy, and it's <laughs> very pronounced. Like it's in public. He talks about how shitty he thinks he is. Mm-hmm. Um, there's in in England. There's lots of comedians that talk about uh, how crappy they think Michael McIntyre is. There's lots of comedians that will talk about Dane Cook. There's a lot of right. like discussion in public and often for the consumption of regular audience people Mm -hmm. about what comedians think about other comedians sure um and well what's weird about magic as a whole is that you do have this weird thing where like you know it's a very iceberg sort of mentality where so much of it does not really make its way into the audience yeah i wonder how much repressed anger there is in the magician community (laughs) (laughs) a lot uh speaking for myself (laughs) I would say that it's it's a weird thing to perform because by nature you're not allowed to talk to the audience about how much goes into it. And yeah. so it's that's I mean I think we talked about this on the very first episode and I it sounds well, like we're I guess, repeating ourselves. I guess the revelation for me was that I feel that I could do a very hacky magic act and essentially never feel like I would come under the brunt of criticism from other magicians publicly, publicly, or even necessarily like to my face. Now they might talk crap about my act behind my back at the castle or on the Facebook group or whatever. Right. But I could basically like the thing you talk about, about like buying six tricks and doing them in public. Right. Um, I could basically do that. And as long as I was like booking gigs, like, I could comfort myself by knowing like, well, no one's ever going to like say anything about this. <laughs> I think that's a, it's an interesting, I just, it occurred to me when I posted that video. That's an interesting thought. I've never really thought about it in those exact terms before. The thing about magic though, that is kind of strange is that like you can talk shit about a magician on social media and given how small the community is, there's a possibility that person can comment and be like, Hey, uh, what the fuck are you, you know, and, yeah. they'll, and they'll get into a fight. Like I was, um, there's this guy, there's this guy, I think he's from South Africa uh, and he goes to like these con- magic conventions. He goes to FISM every year, and he 
does these incredibly incredibly detailed reviews every day uh-huh. like day one of FISM and he would like rate every single act and every single show he would give a review of it and there were these two gala shows one night after the other at FISM last year one was called the Magic Circus I unfortunately that did not get to see it it was the only gala show I missed because I had other responsibilities with Shoot and Simon whose show was immediately after that people mm-hmm. were going to leave that gala and come straight to um, that show and so I didn't get to see it. I heard it was incredible. It sounds like it was maybe the best gala show of the whole week, mm. uh, other than Magic of Korea Night, which was one of the greatest things I've ever seen. Mm. But after that, the night after that, Max Maven put together and hosted a show called uh, like Cabinet of Curiosity. Called, so, so, called Great Haircuts That I've Had. Yes. <laughs> it was just, uh, 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 anyway, so a guy put out a review of Max Maven's show saying it kind of missed the mark, and he didn't totally love it. The South African guy? Yes. Uh-huh. And the Magic Circus one was a lot better and was kind of going after a similar feel. And so then at the end, he puts that, like, Max Ma- he's like, Magic Circus one, Max Maven zero. <laughs> and then the first comment was Max Maven saying, go fuck yourself. Really? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and then they got into a debate over, he's like, he's like that was uncalled for, go fuck yourself. Uh-huh. And then the guy's like, it wasn't uncalled for. You put out a show, I'm allowed to review it. He's like, you can review it. You can say what you want about it. You don't have to compare the two shows and say that one beat the other. Like, uh-huh. that's, un- that's when it got uncalled for. And they got into a debate over that and it's really funny huh. so it's not that you know the on other side of the world max maven's a much higher level than this guy was yeah but that guy he max maven still told him to go fuck himself uh uh people must feel comfortable criticizing max maven because in maximum entertainment by ken weber uh he specifically talks about how like max Jake maven calls out max maven specifically for not being he basically says something like max maven could have been the magician you know, in the way that like there was Doug Henning and David right. Copperfield and uh, Harry Blackstone Jr., I guess. Yeah. Um, and that Max Maven could have been the next one in that line, except that his act is too impersonal and distant or something. Yeah. He it, said it wasn't, his character wasn't relatable enough to people. I just remember reading that book. I was like, oh man, like, yeah. That's pretty specific. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I like Max Maven. I like the Gilbert principle. Yeah. Max Maven is great. Oh man, I'm trying to read that book about the Gilbreth principle. Is it tough? Oh my god, it's hard to read. Is it by Gilbreth? Yes, it's by Gilbreth. Okay. And he assigns a mathematical code for how he's going to describe all the tricks. Woof. So he's like a a single deck we will call um N. If we take 18 cards off of it, we'll call that N minus 18. If the important card is the top card in the deck, we'll call it star n minus 18. If the important card is the bottom card, we'll call it n minus 18 star. And so then all the tricks, I'm only like three tricks into it, but they're all notated with this like mathematical notation of how to do the tricks. And it is so exhausting to like try to read. Woof, that sounds challenging. Um, What's, you know, the thing is that like there's lots of interesting things that people do with that principle. So I'm trying to learn it. And see what other possibilities there are, because I've seen lots of I've seen a lot of tricks that I'm just like completely fooled by that use a lot of his principles, mm-hmm. um, but his way of describing it is so dry. It's it's probably the driest book in anything I've encountered in magic so far, right? Um, as opposed to Magic Rainbow, which is as wet as it gets. <laughs> magic Rainbow is uh, yeah, Magic Rainbow is like. Um, a tone poem. <laughs> <laughs> are, have you read much of it yet? Um, I've not gotten around to it, unfortunately. Uh, no. Are you? Uh, how I, often are you reading a magic book? 
Um, not as often as I should be. And as, anytime I read another kind of book, I feel guilty. I'm like, I should be reading a magic book right now. Oh. Um, like, I can't, you know, I, I keep trying to finish this Agatha Christie book, and I can't do it. Because I'm like, oh, <laughs> Which I, Agatha Christie book? Uh, I just finished um, Murder on the Links. Um, yes. And uh, how, When you were growing up, how often did people say you were an old soul? All the time. Yeah. Because uh, you have kind of old man tastes. Yeah, I do have old man tastes. Have you read And Then There Were None? It's great. It's maybe my favorite book. Ten Little Indians? Uh, that has a really dark story, actually. Does do, it really? Yes. No, I don't know it. Ten Little Indians was what it used to be called. And they're like, uh, let's just call it And Then There Were None. And then now the poem in the, uh, the, poem in the book is um, about ten little soldiers, not ten little Indians. Um, but it goes back further than that. In the first edition of And Then There Were None, fantastic book. You should all read it. Uh, had um, was called the little the poem was ten little n words. Oh no! And then Agatha. And then the cover was ten little like porcelain figures of the most disgusting caricatures. Uh, oh right! I wonder uh, like, if they were like gollywogs. Probably. Um, yeah, they were gross. And I was like, holy shit! So then I and for any me anything that's like olden times of that nature i'm like well this was either 1930s or 1600s like i have right, no right. in between i'm like this is either the 40s or the 1760s so i looked up i'm like maybe i got the christian i'm like 1940 <laughs> <I'm> like <laughs> holy shit yeah oh my god i was like i'm like fuck agatha no i mean that's also when you see like some movies or television or like where you're just like, oh man, this is so racist. You're like, 1998. <laughs> you know, um, and this president is so 2018. Yeah, <laughs> Zing, um, got him. Yeah. By the way, that when I say that you have an old soul, I mean that you're racist. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I, I definitely. I remember uh, on my first night at the close-up gallery at the castle, um, and what was we were rehearsing it, and we were doing tech. I made a Paul Schaefer joke, and you were like, you just like a Paul Schaefer joke <laughs> yeah, right yeah. now. Um, yeah. Whereas I, um, you know play Fortnite. <laughs> <laughs> oh, do not know what that is. You don't uh, know. I Fortnite. know it's a popular game. I know people dance. Yeah. Um, people dance in it. Uh, oh, I was asking what kind of books you're reading. Like right. how, but I love, um, I love theory books. I think those are very interesting because I can learn tricks anywhere. Uh-huh. And so I reading people. T- I, and that's, a, it's, it's funny that translates also over to what the kind of podcasts I listen to. Like I listen to, I love podcasts where people you don't listen to the magic tricks podcast um, i mean honestly a, a magic podcast where they just taught you a trick every episode i'd be into it i'd probably want that'll listen. be when this crashes and burns that'll be our next podcast yeah, well we, maybe we should just end each episode with like mm-hmm. here's here's how to do it and like a good fucking trick too yeah like i'll go to so all we have to do is create a brand new trick every week that's really good and uh-huh. teach it to people <laughs> that should be simple Oh, no, I'm talking about going through other people's books. Oh. But today, we're going to teach you Tommy Wonders. Uh, I feel like that's not uh, allowed. Sure. <laughs> I would but, feel you know, weird about doing First that. Amendment. You know what I mean? We can yeah. talk about whatever I want. They can't stop us. They can't stop us. Except for that trick that's shouting fire in a movie theater. Right. That's that's against the First Amendment. Um, we uh, could have guests come on and be like, here's the, you know, I bought a copy of Jim Steinmeier's Impossibilities. One of the Impossibilities, and mm-hmm. Robert has a, Robert Ramirez has a trick. Oh, yeah, he could teach that if you want. Yeah. I don't think I want to, but he could. <laughs> uh, we could also, actually, we could go, you know what, I'll look at, I ha- think I have a book on verbal magic from Tim Tom Ross, yeah. Yeah, so like we could. We could, oh, do a verbal magic trick. That's fun. We could perform verbal magic tricks over the podcast. Yeah, yeah. That's what That'd I'm be cool. Yeah. I don't think, if Juan has a problem, he can, we'll send him some uh, pesos. Do you some, think it's pesos? Um, I don't know what it would be. Lira? I don't know. Lira? Maybe it's Lira. 
Is it? That I, sounds right. I kind of said that as a joke. I don't know what it is in Spain. Uh, Pesos is Mexican. Uh, and also the Philippines. Um, so well, what's your approach to, like, you were saying that you prefer to read, like, theory. Oh, right. I like to read theory. And what I was to finish that thought before we got into our, our bits was uh, the, the types of podcasts I listen to the most are when people really get into a, in the weeds of, like, ideas, right? Um, I don't like listening to D&D podcasts, but I listen to a podcast deconstructing, like, the way to run a D&D game. That's what I've been listening to. It's called Adventuring Academy. It's very good. I, you know, I love, that's why I love You Made It Weird. It's a comedy podcast, but they're really getting into the weeds of ideas. And they talk about comedy and they talk about music and, they, and spirituality in these very deep ways, right? I like to listen to people talk about comedy more than I like listening to like my brother, my brother and me, like more than I like listening to comedy. Yeah. Um, so I think the type of ma- the books I like to read teach you more about uh, the art of magic and talk and, and sort of dissect the ideas underlying yeah. rather than just like, and here's another trick, which of course I, I, I usually, if I want to do that, I'm going to go to the library and sit down and like study with a deck of cards right. rather than, uh, rather than like read a book in my bed or something. Um, like under the covers with a flashlight. Exactly. <laughs> uh, Spanish. I'm pen- an adult. I go to bed when I want. <laughs> <laughs> Do you? No. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> the Spanish uh, peseta was the currency until 2002. I just looked it up, and then it was the euro. Are they on the euro? Yeah. Okay. When you go to the library, how? Um, first of all, the library is open when? It's like 5 p.m. to 10 p.m. or something. So basically, when the castle's open. Yeah. It doesn't go too late though. It closes pretty early. And how many librarians are there? Um, I don't know. That just changed. I, I, uh, one is like Bill Goodwin is the librarian. He's like it's his department. There was another. The other sort of main one was Lisa Cousins, but she uh, left that post a few months back. I think she moved. She moved out of L.A. Uh-huh. She kind of moved back to New Mexico where she was from, and you know she's like, I did it. I you know I came to do magic in L.A. I got a job at the castle. I performed at the castle five times. You know, uh, over a couple of years. You know, I did what I wanted to do. Yeah. Now, like her granddaughter, I think was in New Mexico. She's like, I'm gonna go back with my family um, um how uh um, but i think there are a couple other people that do fill that role i mean he can't do it every single night um when you when you go how often are there other people in there i would say like 40 percent of the time i miss bill a lot but i don't know the exact schedule oh, uh, i don't mean bill but like how often are there other how busy is it oh um depends on the night i would say i'm never in there by myself I, I, on average there's four or five six people in there there's also a little table at the front and a lot of times people are just there hanging out and chatting uh-huh um, and then that's like in a library in a library, you know, and he never comes around and shushes them. Well, there's like a, a section with a, t- I don't know, it's, you know, and I'm cool about it. I ain't no nerd. You want to talk? <laughs> you fucking talk. I- yeah, man. Fucking show them. Um, and does it, uh, I assume it has lots of old books. It has lots of, but like, will of they have the magic rainbow? Yeah, probably. It just depends on when they've, how and when they've acquired it, if someone's donated it, you know, something along those lines. So they have everything. It's incredible. And what's cool is they actually, they over a year, they digitized all their DVDs. Oh. So instead of having to find a DVD, they have a computer with all of them digitally uploaded. So Wait, I can type so you, in. You could have gone in there to see Ultra Servan by Bruce Servan. <laughs> I could. And seen him like pop up out of like a lightning bolt. Yeah, appear, um, which is a trick on the DVD, appearing in a flash of lightning bolts. <laughs> uh, but yeah, you, so I, like, if I. When I was when we were putting that matrix together, and I was trying to look up what other see through matrixes existed, yeah, I just go on that web thing, type in see through matrix, matrix, see through cards, etc. Oh. Um, and I found like two things that were kind of pretty different, so I was comfortable with that. Um, and That's I very cool. watched those and I learned them, but uh, they weren't super applicable to what I was doing. Uh, you're not allowed to check out anything, is that correct? 
That is correct. Yeah, it's not a checkout library. Yeah. So. But you can Xerox things. Oh. So they have a Xerox machine, and I can, you know, if, I'm like, what are the rules on this? He's like, as long as you're not Xeroxing an entire book, uh-huh. you know. But yeah, is so that, it's tricks are like 10, 11 pages. And is that free? Like, yeah. When I was a kid, you had to pay a dime per page at the local library. Uh, and I think mean, anytime you're printing something at any sort of local shop, it's like. If this I had, is the real scam. Get in the castle and just Xerox for free. Right. Just bring in all your resumes. <laughs> well, yeah, I got an interview tomorrow. Bring uh, in yeah. all your term papers. Just mm-hmm. go in there and copy it. Um, yes, part of the you know, and so I was once I said that to shoot once. I'm like, I feel bad like xeroxing all this stuff like for free because sometimes I'll, I'll xerox like four tricks and it'll be like twenty pages. Yeah, it's a lot of ink, and I'll be like, no, you pay dues. Fair enough. Yeah. I, do, I do pay my dues. Oh, and plus you can do that at a library too, like a real library, and like xerox pages. And, oh, really? Yeah, lots of libraries. That's that's is that where, free now. Is that a free service? Well, I'm I'm saying I don't know if it's free, but I'm just saying like you're not paying the author for the for the those xeroxing but it's part of like the library culture oh i just meant that like yeah i felt bad that i was taking all this money in ink that was very expensive and uh yeah for free but hey if i Um, pay my my dues i love public libraries uh i recently uh heard a couple things about a library but it was on this american life episode about how libraries are one of the only places left where you don't have to you don't have to be anything in particular to be allowed to be there. You just have to be a person that wants to like hang out and read a book as like a coffee shop. There's still an obligation that you get coffee. You pay $2 to $6 for a coffee. There's right. very few public spaces where it's just like, it's okay for you to like, you can just go there and do whatever. You that's, want. that's funny that you think about that. Cause right after we record this, I have um, some work I have to do on my computer. So I'm just going to go like to Larchmont and sit in a coffee shop. Yeah. And then I'm like, I don't know if I want a coffee though, but I can, I can get a fucking coffee. Yeah. <laughs> well, you can also go to the, uh, Larchmont library, which is very nice. No, I'm not no nerd. <laughs> as, as you've, uh, said over and over, you're yeah. not no nerd. I ain't no nerd. Um, yeah, so but the library is an incredible, incredible resource that I use far too uh, infrequently. I need to be down there a lot, lot, lot more. Um, also, do you have a library like near where you live? Yeah, there's a local. <laughs> li- I mean, there's just but not a magic library. Um, to study magic, they probably have like the magic section. I'll, how about this? T- tomorrow, I'll go to my local library and, and I'll see what see. the magic section. Yeah, is like. they probably have something. Yeah, uh, maybe they have bobos or something. Something, yeah. It's, it's always something random. It's always like a hundred easy sleight of hand tricks oh. you can do to impress your friends. Yes. And I'm like, all right, I don't know what this is. I noticed recently that um, one thing I love to do when I go home to Texas to visit my family is te- Houston has a lot of really good um, discount bookstores. Oh, cool. Um, and oh, I think I told you this once. There's a so there's a chain in Texas called the Half Price Bookstore, which is a great. I love that chain very much. Um, I went there all the time. And then when I was older and I could drive, I went to the downtown sort of Houston area. And there's a place there called Quarter Price Books, which Mm -hmm. is an independent bookstore on its own. And that is where a long time ago I bought like five uh, issues of Magic Magazine. Oh, cool. One of which has Shoot on the cover. Awesome. Uh, Was that one that had young, had spiky hair? Uh, you would remember. It's a red background. He's holding ninja rings. Oh yeah, no. Um, which is actually, by the way, still now available on Genie's website. Mm-hmm. They have all the magic uh, archives as well. Um, so this last time around, when I went home to Texas for the Christmas uh, visit, I went to that same bookstore. They don't have any magazines anymore, and they don't have any magic books in that store. Then I went to the half price bookstore, and that place had a bunch of them, and they were all along the lines of what you just described. 
um, they were not like there wasn't like expert at the card table or right. the 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 twenty classic magic books anybody would say to none of them were in there. They were all like a hundred easy tricks for kids, right? And um, although there were a couple of Jim Steinmeier books in there, oh cool, yeah, uh, yeah. So my sister in law actually manages a discount bookstore. She manages a five dollar or less bookstore in Simi Valley. Ooh, uh, and she will text me every now and again a picture of like. Um, of a magic book and be like, is this something slash do you want it? Usually it'll be like, ah, not really. I, you know, it looks like I'd, you know, hundred simple tricks, yeah. but every now and again, she'll like text me a picture or something legitimate. I'll be like, Oh, I, that is great. And I have it. So yeah, you know, and then that way she'll know to like recommend it as yeah. something like legitimate and good. If someone comes by and off the top of your head, do you remember any titles that you've got? Um, I don't know, but if you talk for a second or we pause this, uh, I can, uh, no, I'm going to guess at some of the titles that you might've gotten. Do it. You got like, Erdnace, here's the book I wrote about who I really am. Um, Erdnace 2, that first dude isn't him. It's actually me. And then Erdnace 3, who cares? My book sucks anyway. <laughs> that uh, was it. It was all three of those. Oh. I found one that she, was one of the last texts she sent me was um, Royal Road, Royal Road of the Card Magic. Oh. And I was like, yeah, I have that, and it's a good book, and you should definitely be pushing Oh, but you weren't like, please save a copy of that for me. No, because I already had it. Yeah. Um, I Yeah, there's not, there's never anything she's sent me that I'm like... I mean, she's, I, I've had her bring stuff home for me when she... Uh, Royal Road might be the first book that I ever bought because my friend uh, recommended it to me. My oh, cool. Um, and I, I've still only gotten to the overhand shuffle part. <laughs> uh, and then I actually bought the... Uh, of course, as previously discussed... The world's handsomest magician, Paul Wilson, has a mm-hmm. video series going through Royal Road, right. where he demonstrates every single part of the book. It's sort of like Card oh, cool. College, but just using Royal Road as the textbook, and Paul Wilson demonstrates the entire thing. There are some things like that where they will make video series of famous books, so you can like see it. Like I, I have one. I haven't looked at it that much because um, I should maybe go back and look at it. But somebody did make like a three DVD set going through um, Bobo. Oh, okay. Uh, that being said, I'm very interested in that. Um, I can lend it to you. Uh, it doesn't have everything. Yeah. And there's actually one trick in Bobo that I've loved for a long, long time that I've always wanted to do. I um, was kind of famous for being in that book and being like, that's not, that doesn't work, does it? Uh, oh. Um, someone actually did it on Fool Us and it uh, worked. I di- it didn't look as good as I hoped it would. It was like a little, I don't say obvious, but it was, uh, um, it was fine. And I, I was, it made me less excited to do it. But for years, I tried to get this thing tailored into my jacket. Uh-huh. And then, so I was like, "Cool, oh, a Bobo DVD, Let me, and it's not on it. Great, yeah. of course it's not. So I don't think it had, it had like seventy percent of the stuff. I think that's a. I, I've lately been reading a lot of books where I'm like, man, I wish I could see a video of this because sure. the description of this is very. In fact, I will even say that in the latest issue of Genie Magazine, um, there is a thing in the Magicana section um, called like the Devil's Turnover or something, and. I was trying to look at it, and often when you get the Genie magazine, uh, like on my iPad, is I have the digital version. Okay. They'll link to a video of like a person doing it. This one didn't have it, and I was like, "This part of the description doesn't make sense." I think this is a mistake. Like it's oh, really? the way they referred to one part of it. I was like, "This is not really right." Right. Um, so I was There's like, "I'd old... like to see," and I it was I, I don't as described. I was like, "I don't see how this would fool somebody." There's an old. Um... 
set of lecture notes by Helder Guimaras where there's a trick, and I've, I've learned at one point all the tricks in these lecture notes, and they're all very good. Mm-hmm. There's one card to cross routine that to this day I can't quite figure out how to do, and I'm always like doing something wrong in it. Uh-huh. Where I'm like, oh, this is not the set. And he's like, later, he's like, this is the setup you should be in now, and I'm not in that setup. And I'm like, oh, fuck, I don't know how um, I'm getting this wrong. But it's just every now and again something like that happens where you just the, the description is just a little too tough to... Uh, to to understand like uh this is the thing i read recently and i'm not going to do it well but where they go here can you move, just move that for a second uh they go like here's a card on the table and i like i've found the match for it or whatever and i don't know what you would call this move but basically it's like okay so actually it's this but the card i have is like uh, a chameleon card so then uh, when I put it back, you'll see that it's actually turned it. In, okay, there are a couple moves like that. Where in the description, I was like, "That actually fools people." Like, yeah, it looks tough. Looks where you basically what I'm doing is I'm picking up, showing a card, and then just throwing the other one back onto the table. Mm-hmm. And I was like, I feel like now when I, when I talked pre- recently about like my spider sense for like funny moves, I feel like um, I don't know exactly what happened, but that doesn't seem like it would fool me. And I think one thing that you have is having so much more experience in this is I bet you have a better sense of when not to waste your time learning something from a book. Cause you're just like, eh, th- that's not, that's, that won't be sometimes. Great. Yeah. I definitely, um, cause I get a book and I'm just like, well, this is a expert in the field. It, you know, it did take me several years. I think this is also an age thing. Like you're probably much quicker to do this now than I was because yeah. when I was like 14, 15, and I'm just learning every trick I can, I had no sense for this. But it wasn't until I was doing magic for about four or five years when I was like 19 or 20 that I had an, a real brain to be able to read something and go, oh, I don't like this effect. Uh-huh. Or I would even learn and do the, the effect and go, oh, I actually do not like this. It used to be I just had this sort of bias in my mind that if it was printed in a book and yeah. someone published that book, then everything in it was good. And I would do these things that I now look back and go, oh, that trick is dumb and sucks. Right. And I would go, oh, this is a good... And it, was, it really has not been until I was like 20 or 21 years old that I was really able to, yeah, just have my own opinion that I do not like this trick. Well, and also I think it's... And I would kind of do anything. I, first of all, I don't think I have that discretion. I think that um, one thing that's sort of worrying about some of these things too is that you get a book and like... By definition, if I get a book of effects, there's some are better than others. Like there are going to be some clunkers in there. Like when sure. when um, when uh, I I love a magazine called Cooks Illustrated. Do you know that? What is it? Cooks Illustrated. I did not. Oh, you would love it. They do the TV show America's Test Kitchen. Oh, cool. Um, this I is do right love cook. I love yeah, right learning right. recipes. I love cooking. so they for a while they don't really do it as much anymore. But they would do cookbook reviews, and they would be like, "This is a good cookbook." We found six recipes in here that are definitely worth making. And there were like 50 recipes in that book. And like that was considered a good cookbook to them. Right. Um, So some of these magic books, I'm like, oh man, like. Right. Sometimes you have to find the, like. Am I learning the one that's like worth learning in this book? Uh, Can I talk openly about a book that I love but have some problems with? And then you'll tell me if it's too, like, oh, you shouldn't say that. Harry Potter and the Goblet of Fire? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, I just like. I think Cedric should have been the protagonist of the whole series. Yeah. I don't know why they killed him off. That was really dumb. Harry should have died. Was Cedric the, a chosen one as well, by the way? Uh, what do you mean? Was there some kind of prophecy that they thought he was the one? No, I don't think so. Or was it Neville that was potentially... 
There oh. was there was another kid that was like, maybe he's actually the one that's supposed to save us all. I, I think it might have been Neville. Actually. It might have been Neville because yeah, because yeah, his his backstory mirrors Harry's so much. Yeah, because like his parents were killed. Uh, so well. what's this book? That no one gives a shit about his parents. It's a uh, it pit Hartling in order to amaze. It's an incredible book. Don't get me wrong. I absolutely love it. If you have any interested any interest in memorized deck magic, you should buy it. There's a trick, like the first trick in that book. I do it almost every show, and it's great. Uh, that is the sandwich effect. Uh-huh. That's where that comes from. And there's a lot of really interesting stuff. There are some things that I personally don't aren't like resonate with. There's a lot of uh, memorized deck magic to do poker routines, which I just find boring. I'm not a fan of poker magic. Um, uh, often when people talk about the advantages of one memorized deck versus another. They will talk about well because they'll say like this one's good because it easily deals into poker deals. Right, they all have different qualities. Or they'll say like you can spell to thirty-two different cards in this, right. which I know you hate. I kind of do. Well, um, then I recently learned a spelling trick. Hold that thought because I do want to get back into that in a second. But yeah. All I was gonna say was there, but there is a section that I kind of do not love in that book called Quartets, which is all about. Um, it's like this basically all this additional information you, you need to learn because it, it's something it's it's what is it it's you're what you do is you memorize the three numbers which are the distances between every four of a kind uh-huh. so like if I'm gonna do the four aces I would know so like the first ace in the in a in a deck of mnemonica is seven which is the ace of spades right mm-hmm. I would learn the distance between the ace of spades uh-huh. to the uh, next one which would be the ace of diamonds like the numerical distances yeah so, interesting so then that would be like what that'd be thirty two <laughs> um, and then uh, four and then eight. Right, and then in fact, because in almost every quartet, every four of a kind, one card is really far away from the other three. What he does is like, if I were to cut in the middle of the deck, it would bring all four aces much closer together, because then it would be um, all that dis- uh, that big distance would be above and below the cards. So he's mm-hmm. like, all right. So what you do is you basically have to find the four cards you need. You kind of cut them so that they're all a little bit closer together, so the one odd one out is closer, <laughs> uh-huh. and then you memorize those three numbers. Uh, and it's wow. like really challenging, and there's some cool tricks in there with that. But yeah, but just by virtue, like that's a b- an incredible book. I think everybody should buy it if you're interested in memorized deck magic. But that is a, 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 a section that I'm like, oh, this is not as good as some of these other effects. And so yeah, you, by virtue, there's just a real example of right. by virtue of having a book, some things will just be better than others. I think Pitt Hartling must clearly have a real facility for math he, on the fly. Yeah, because I recently showed you another one <laughs> that you were just like. This is tedious. <laughs> um, right. And, and also I've really him, hard to I've do. I've seen him do complicated math stuff live that is great, and yeah. it kills. So I'm not saying these are bad routines. It is a very subjective thing, and like, what are your skill sets? Yeah. Clearly, his and mine are very different. So there's stuff that he could do that's great that I could never, ever do. Like, there's one routine in his first book, uh, Card Fictions, I think it's called. Is that right? And it's like, okay, you basically have to memorize 12 sequences of three cards on the fly. Someone will shuffle, like, 36 cards and then you're going to memorize like this them in three and like in sets of three here's uh-huh. how to do it quickly you know take one like we basically memorize the uh, memorizing the colors of the cards uh-huh. and so it's like it'll be in one of seven configurations it'll be two red one black you know, a black a red a black stuff like that and he tells you how to memorize it and that, he, i've seen him do it live and it's awesome i would never in a million years be able to do that yeah so that's a a specific thing, but yeah, th- th- I just feel like some of the books and some of the effects <clears throat> in that book are stronger and they're a little more accessible. And you're just gonna have that in a book. Yeah, but using that cookbook theory, I still think it's a great book. You should go for buy sure. It. I mean, I had, yeah. to, I had to talk shit about that book that I because I do love it. Uh, are you you're doing push-throughs on that? Do you need to keep that in a certain stack? Uh, no, I'm just. Uh, Can practicing. you do a real shuffle on it? Sure. 
Are you going to show me a trick right now? Uh-huh. Okay. Ooh, the real shuffle looks just like the fake shuffle. <laughs> there was a I bit I did with some friends where they're like, no, really shuffle the cards. I'm like, I'm going to. I'm going to. And then I would do it like... Uh, I'd push them together, and then just at the last minute, I'd do a push through. I'm like, uh-huh. right, here you go. And he'd be like, no shuffle. I'm like, okay, okay, okay. And then like, here we go. Were these magician friends? Yes. Oh. And they're like, oh, God damn it. <laughs> these are the bits that pass with magicians. Yeah. That people love. It was very annoying. Um, I was having a lot of fun. Uh, let's see. Uh, Off to a great start. Yeah, this is good. Um I'm trying to f- make a prediction as to what's going to happen. As you do that, is your pop socket the little bow from uh-huh. bow? That's uh-huh. fun. Won an Oscar. I bet you're happy about that. I was very happy. Cool. And happy that the one you picked lost. <laughs> no. Uh, did you I, like that one though that I put up? I did actually. It's very good. Uh, yeah, I did. I'm not surprised or disappointed that bow won. I could, but uh, especially given my family, that one had a lot of personal resonance. Yeah. Uh, so that was the one that's emotionally affected me the most. Okay, I'm going to make a prediction Yeah, because you're about to make some choices. First first thing, though, is can you tell me your middle name? My middle name is Luis. Is it really? Yeah, L-U-I-S. Okay. So that's not going to work. Uh, <laughs> let me, here, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go with this. You just switched cards when you heard my, my Spanish middle name. Yeah, because it's not, it's, not it's not appropriate. Are you Spanish middle name? I'm wondering, is that, I wonder if that's a guitar I have reference. Spanish. Oh, are you really? Yeah. Oh. My mother's middle name is Luisa, and her father's middle name is Luis. Oh, cool. Uh, we're going to split this into two chunks and just, uh, put them down one at a time and at whatever point you're going to say stop uh, don't do it yet um, let's put a little make the sort of close but whenever you want you can say stop stop okay good we got two chunks do you want to work with the big chunk or the little chunk big chunk okay cool we're going to spell the top card of this chunk. can you turn that uh, card over sure big chunk was my name in high school <laughs> uh, he just turned over three spades. Three spades. So we're going to use this pack to spell the word three. Oh boy, okay. So here we go. It goes T H R E E. Oh, how did I misspell? Oh, there, I just slightly misspelled. <laughs> I misspelled the letter three, which I fucked it up. T H R E. Oh, yeah, yeah, you're right. Did it? Yeah. Uh, but here's my prediction. And that too. <laughs> Uh, so what just happened, folks, is I turned over my packet where I stopped him wherever I wanted to stop him from dealing, turned over a card with three of spades. He spelled the word three, and the three of diamonds came up. I misspelled the letter three in my head. Um, uh, the three of diamonds came up. I predicted. He, he had one prediction, which was three of hearts, uh, right. uh, and then he had another card, and that was the three of clubs. Yeah, I flipped it over with the three. Yes. Uh, where did that three of clubs come from? The, I used the next card to like flip it the next, the next, was the next card. Yeah. Okay. You're just holding it and you turn it over and then he literally went, and this one. Yeah, yeah. I should have been like, and I don't know, there's probably some better way to say it. Right. However, this is something I just learned I actually really enjoy. Um, it's by Jeff Williams. Okay. Do you know Jeff Williams? I do not. It's from a DVD called Miracles for Mortals. It's called Four Way Coincidence. Cool. Um, but I really like it. So do you, I mean, you probably have an inkling of how that works. Yeah. Um, I imagine there's, can I talk about it? Yeah, sure. I imagine that there's some sort of inverse uh, property about dealing the cards. Um, a little bit, yeah. Face up. So this is my favorite part of it, is that... Uh, is it devilishly simple? No, but until you... Here, shuffle it again. Okay. Real okay. shuffle. Real so shuffle I don't know what the card is going to be at this point. This is going to be great content. <laughs> um, so I was saying, when I start this trick, I don't know what card I'm going to use to do the um, the coincidence. Okay. So 
uh, let's see. I'm going to make predictions. Are you allowed to be talking about this? Sure, why not? Yeah, okay. Who, who, if Jeff Wayne wants to, uh, it's not really telling the method. I'll just, I just think this is a really fascinating part of it. Mm-hmm. Uh, what's your mom's maiden name? My mom's maiden name is Guinan. G U I N. Like from Star Trek? What's Whoopi Goldberg's character on Star Trek? Guinan? It's spelled G U I N A N. That is Whoopi Goldberg's character's name on Star Trek. How did I not know this? Yeah. Oh my God. Okay, so I can't use it. My mom's last name was picked after Whoopi Goldberg. Who knew? Uh, I'm going to use that card instead. Wait a minute. Willie Goldberg is on Star Trek? Yeah. Fuck this trick. Let's talk about this for a second. <laughs> uh, again, one this more time. Next generation? Can you uh, tell me stop? We'll put these into two chunks. Stop. Okay. You want this one here or here? Uh, leave it where it was. Okay, cool. Let's turn these over. Again, do you want to use the big or little? Little one. Okay, we're going to spell with this pack. Okay. And we're gonna, so the card we're going to spell is going to be the card okay. on top. Turn that over. Two right. hearts. Uh, let's do T-W-O. To a space. And my prediction. Oh, I should be using this to turn it. My prediction is this one. And since we, we might as well have four. <laughs> might as well have four. Okay, I get a, I get a little bit more on that, how that works. Well, uh, so what I love about this trick, and you guys, you can get miracles from mortals to get the, the method. But what I love about this method is that you don't know what it is until the person shuffles and you look at the deck. Mm-hmm. Like I, th- I find that part really fascinating and kind of fun. What What do you like about that? <sighs> because. Uh, I like the idea of um, like having to improvise a little bit at the top to figure out how the trick is going to go, which is a little bit scary, I will say. Sure. So it's dependent on the cards being shuffled in a certain way that almost always will happen, but does not always happen. So is there a chance that trick doesn't work? Uh, there's a chance you have to do a move to get it to work, but uh-huh. most of the time you won't. So basically, again, go to the DVD. But what you need is you need two cards to be of the same value be next to each other. Huh. As long as you have that, you can do the trick. Um, if you don't have that, you can do it with two cards that are like... Have Did a that happen both times I gave you the cards? Yeah. Oh, really? And that's what picks which card I'm going to use. So, interesting. Okay, I'm going through the cards now. Do and you see is, one? Oh, yeah, it just happened. Cool. What's the number? Nine. Um, so what you want to cut, you want to cut three cards in front of that that pair. So that there's three in different cards and then the, the pair. Are we allowed to be saying this? I don't yeah. think so. Well, at this point, you know, yeah. now you can go to the DVD. Right. In for a penny, in for a pound. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but anyway, I think I, just, I like that. That appeals to me, the idea of like, I'm starting this trick and I don't know exactly how it's going to turn out. I right. think that, I feel like that uh, that you don't love that part of it. Um, no, I'm cool with that. Yeah. I just, I like that idea. I also think it makes a little, a little more um, uh, potentially... Uh, fooling to somebody if like if it's a genuinely shuffled deck you know and you, you there's there's that there can't be a method there because there's no planning right so i kind of like that idea um yeah i love tricks like that where the method is i mean so by nature is so difficult and so un, like not intuitive yeah you know um and that's basically the method there is just to have the nerve that two are going to show up together and then what um um you can there's moves you can do to like you know, if that doesn't happen. Sure. I but mean, like yeah. mathematically, it's very unlikely that there won't be a pair next to each other. And that, yeah. And that just comes to a, uh, just comes to a general knowledge of magic is, is it's not that difficult to get two cards next to each other covertly or even semi covertly. No yeah. one knows what you're going to do yet. So it doesn't really matter what you're doing. Yeah. In fact, you'll see that a lot. And it's actually, it's actually quite effective when people, uh, if you like shuffle the cards and I need to set them up or something, a lot of people will just talk to you and give you some backstory and you'll just see them like do this. Yeah, and they'll just kind of like move the cards around a little bit, and as long as they're casual and they're confident, <laughs> yeah, it yeah, really yeah. is effective. Yeah. and I, I'm not. I it sounds like it. I'm not really talking about like Danny Ortiz or a Spanish guy as much as it may sound like that. Yeah. I see plenty of people just with confidence 
they'll look up, they'll ask you a few questions, uh, you know, and then they'll just like they'll they'll kind of set up the cards right in front of you. Yeah. I mean in an effective way. I think because people naturally just handle cards like that in general. It doesn't look weird at all. Uh, but anyway, Miracles for Mortals, Volume One by Jeff Williams. We found six great recipes in there. I found one great trick in there. There's some other there's actually really fun tricks in there, some of which I are just not things I would do. But I mean one of them is a um portable music like what we would call jam box in the day. Ooh, that jam he, box. Um he basically it doesn't work. The batteries have run out. So he takes the power cord and he sticks it into a drawing of an outlet in a notepad and the the it turns on. Cool. And the explanation for it is like, oh, I will never do that. Right. I'll tell you after we record, but I was just like, that's very interesting, but I will never ever do that. Which I think there is value in that. Just like yeah. learning that idea and you're oh cool, that is that does work. Uh Robert um had this trick. I've never seen him do it. He's described it to me. Uh-huh. But it's this very, very elaborate way of like switching and changing a card, um, changing the face of a card. And it's really cool the way he describes it to me. And it's awesome. And it's something that sounds like a lot of fun. So he did that at his first lecture at the castle. Mm-hmm. And Siegfried Tiber, uh-huh. uh, esteemed magician, apparently walked up to him afterwards and went, that thing was amazing. I will never do it. But it was amazing. Uh-huh. Uh, so there's still value in, I think, that information being being given. Uh, we're at 112. Oh, okay. Good for us. So enjoy uh, Europe. I probably have or have not been already. I, I think this is a good time for you to lean over to shoot and make him listen to this podcast. I, I'm so afraid to have him listen to it. <laughs> He'll probably hate it. He'll probably hate it. I, I think that shoot will probably hate, uh, uh, like... Probably all of our perspectives about magic and consider them disrespectful. Really? <laughs> no, I don't know. I don't know. I just I wouldn't be surprised. I'm so afraid that he'll be like that anytime I quote him or like a thing he says or thinks, he'll be like, that is not right. Oh, you know, the other thing is we should probably you know, that's another good reason for us to do a Patreon. Because then we can say, like, hey, we're charging for this, you know? Oh yeah. So that means we can say whatever we want. We can say whatever we want. All right. Um so and, I'll be back soon. I don't yeah. know when this one's going to air. We might have one more, but yeah, this will be airing in like two weeks. How long are you gone for? I'm gone from uh, March 9th to April 2nd. Uh, I think we'll be fine. So, because um, we have a third one, banked one coming up. Yeah. I just don't know what the order in which we'll air these, if it's necessarily going to be in the order that we're recording them. Yeah. All right. Well, we'll see you next time. We'll see you soon.